What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. Today, I am joined by Joe House. Of course, it's a Friday in the NFL season, and we're going to get some of his picks for this weekend's action. And speaking of picks, House, I think you're doing pretty well this year, aren't you? Well, on the we give out one bet a week on the Bet the House. It goes up on the Twitter, FanDuel. Um, God bless them. Puts, puts it out there. Six and two so far on the sides of the totals that we're selecting. And I have a, a favorite game this week. Now, I have to warn you, Sharpie, this slate, this week nine slate, it has not been immunized. So I don't I don't know if it's been vaccinated either, but I can <laughs> definitely tell you it has not been immunized. Uh, there's still some opportunities for some value, though, and there is something going on. I'm not sure what it is. There's a mind meld situation here between the Wednesday show with you and Solak the show that I like to call the cheat code because I feel like it is a cheat code for me to make smarter wagers. I had a game circled. I deliberately, let's, I'm going to just go a bit into the making of the sausage. It'll take 10 seconds. Let's hear Every it. week I prepare an outline. I look at the games. I look at the numbers kind of midweek. Uh, and I prepare an outline of what I think I like. And then Friday mornings I set aside to just dive into. It's quiet in my house. I get a little coffee. The dogs are still in bed, thank God. And I listened to you and Solak on the on the on the cheat code. This week, Sharpie, the game that I like the very best out of all on the entire slate is the LA Chargers laying less than a field goal uh, at the Philadelphia Eagles. Lo and behold, I tune in this morning to the cheat code podcast. You guys spent 25 freaking minutes on the Chargers Eagles. Something is happening. I like the direction we're headed in. Let's keep, you know, trying to collect 
these W's, okay? I am in complete agreement. Uh, we are rolling through the NFL sides totals. Been crushing it on my end as well. So, I mean, I'm feeling good about this week too. Uh, picked up another dub last night. Uh, taking the over as that. You know, there's been, it's interesting house. Before we break into uh, the sharp points of the week, I do just want to mention, there's been a lot of line moves that have been going on. And some of these line moves are wrong. Some of the moves that we have been seeing might make you a little bit more hesitant to fire off on a game because you're like, the line's moving against me. That must be the sharp side. I'm not sure if I want to participate in fading that move. And all I can say is this, typically making a habit of going up against the sharpest betting groups out there is going to cost you money in the long run. You're not going to have long-term success with that. That being said, some of the very best groups that are capable of moving the market and the screen by one, one and a half points on various different games, these guys are going to hit 56 to 58 to 59% at best during some of their best seasons. Okay. So they have ups and downs and ebbs and flows just like the rest of us. And they're not always going to produce game results that are. 100% knocking the ball out of the park, home run, they win their wager. So, you know, um, trust your model, trust your gut, trust your instincts. Uh, I don't want to always say bet with your gut because you need to factor in a lot more things than just your gut. But um, like the game last night, that was a game we were looking at the over and the line's moving lower and lower and lower. You just be patient, grab the best number you can. If you still want to go, go the opposite way, went over 45 and, and felt really good about that. So, um, yeah, I, I, there are some lines that even this week on the Sunday card, I think you and I are both going to agree that are moving against kind of where we would want to go. Um, but I still think we like our positions. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly right. I, a couple things, um, we've been talking, uh, about some trends this season, ma- mainly the performance of underdogs who continue to, um, outpace the favorites by a considerable margin. And there's been a couple of substrata trends we mentioned last week. Um, the Action Network guys uh, told us to keep an eye on the road dogs under a touchdown. There were seven of those situations last week, and they went five and two again. So now that number on the season that is road dogs uh, catching less than a touchdown, that number's up to 35 and 14 on the season. That's well over 70%. And there are a bunch of those candidates this week as well. One, two, three, four five, six such candidates on the board this week. So, you know, take a look at those and see if you you see any value. Another thing that I, I caught research-wise, profitable situation in the league, is road dogs coming off a win of six or more points. And teams fitting that situation are 12 and six straight up, 15 and, and, and three against the spread. There are three candidates that fit that uh, particular trend line. And interestingly... I, I wanted to cross-reference those two trends to see if there's a team on both of those lists. God bless. It's the Atlanta Falcons. It's Arthur Smith. Perhaps the Falcons have, have righted the ship. I, I don't know. They're catching uh, six and a half, I think, at the moment against the, the New Orleans Saints. And it seems like Taysom Hill is going to be the starting quarterback for the Saints. If you can hold your nose and, you know, bury your head into some... Um, Matt Ryan, red zone, uh, 
just just peril, then then why not a little bit on the Falcons? Well, I do want to um, interject here momentarily. I believe that Sean Payton and the Saints are expected to start Trevor Simeon at okay. quarterback. That okay. is just broke. That being said, I do want to share an interesting uh, piece of information. Again, like we're, we're always going to speak the truth, speak our minds is why we're on the show with you guys. We saw as soon as Sean Payton announced that Taysom Hill was going to be the starter for this game on the screen, money came in on the Atlanta Falcons, dropping this line from six and a half back down to six and money came in on the under dropping this game. And there's still some 42s out there, but uh, dropped the line a little bit lower down to 41 and a half. And there are some 41s popping. So Falcons and under because Trevor Simeon is starting instead of Taysom Hill. And I personally think that the odds makers are wrong on both accounts. Sean Payton is telling us, I believe my better quarterback is Trevor Simeon. He gives us the best chance to win this game. So why the hell would you want to then back? Why would the odd makers say, oh, well, Thanks for your opinion, Sean, but we actually think that you made the wrong decision and you should have been starting Taysom Hill here. And so because of that, we're going to lower this down a little bit and we're going to say that you're not going to score as many points. Does that make any sense at all? Sean Payton is telling you, this is my guy. I think we're going to have the most success with it. And the odds makers are like, I know you're close to the situation, Sean, but you're wrong. Okay. I think the odds makers are wrong in both accounts here. The other thing that's great if you're backing the Saints here is that you now have Taysom Hill to do the things that you want Taysom Hill to do. It's much better to have Taysom Hill not be throwing passes down the field the majority of the game, but get inserted in those key situations where you can run the ball with him inside of the red zone. You can run the ball with him in short yardage. He can focus on his specialty of what he's great at doing as opposed to trying to get him to do over most of the game, what he's bad at doing, which is dropping back in the pocket, reading a defense, and throwing the ball on time with accuracy. So I I think it's a great move that they are going to name Trevor Simeon the starter. I think it's going to help the Saints' offensive output. And for that reason, I disagree with the move to bet this game to the under because Taysom is not your quarterback and to bet this game to the Falcons because Taysom's not your quarterback. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, I'm not touching this game because uh, there's too much uncertainty and I don't think we can really draw any conclusions at all from last week's Saints game or last week's Falcons game. I just have no idea whatsoever. It's This is one I'm I'm happy to let other people jump in and do something. Well, I I, I think they could, my, I, I disagree slightly, House, and I'll just say, I think there is conclusions that can be drawn from last week's Saints game in that Trevor Simeon, thrown into the fire, performed better than I expected him to. And if now you have a week of prep, I feel confident that Sean Payton knows his strengths and weaknesses and that we're not going to have an epic disaster on our hands. Okay. We, it, we that was, that, That's against a very good pass rush and a very good Bucks defense last week. This Falcons defense is not to that caliber. So I'm not here sitting here saying, Saints are my game. I haven't bet this game either. I'm just suggesting that I did learn something last week from Trevor Simeon's performance and that he wasn't a total disaster and he was in a very difficult predicament and you could have easily excused away a horrific performance 
and just said, okay, get him next week. And that didn't happen. So well, for maybe for next week's show or, or um, between you and, and Solak, there has been a phenomena of backup quarterbacks coming into these games and performing extremely well. I mean, the Mike White experience was was, was transformative, and it was just a bummer that he got hurt in the oh, Thursday terrible. night game because that game looked like it might actually be a little bit spicy, and then he got hurt and... You know, God bless Josh Johnson. He damn near brought the Jets all the way back to a, the 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 backdooriest of backdoor covers. It was sitting there, and and I had no idea that I was going to have a sweat at the end. I I was on. I had a tiny bit on the Colts last night at ten. I was like, I can't believe Josh Johnson is going to do this to me. And the last they went right down the field three consecutive times. In any event, there is this thing, and I guess we'll see a little bit uh, this week, especially with uh, Jordan Love of, you know, uh, quarterbacks that don't have any experience coming out and, and performing well. And I'm, I'm excited for this Green Bay, Kansas City game. How about that? I'm, I'm excited, too. I'm interested to see how they tailor their game plan to his strengths um, and try to minimize his weaknesses, right? Like, that's what every good coach should be doing. We'll talk about a team momentarily that may not be doing that this week, but um, I'm interested to see how they do in Green Bay, uh, you're going to get back Devontae Adams and you're got, you've got a lot of weapons. Your offensive line is getting healthier. And we know that this Kansas City Chiefs defense has absolutely struggled um, at times throughout the course of the season. Now, um, I'll go ahead and share that uh, what before this game was announced that Aaron Rodgers was not going to play, um, for myself, uh, for the private, um, you know, guys that I work with out in Vegas and for my public subs uh, at Sharp Football Analysis, I sent out under 55 and a half. My computer model liked the under in this game. And of course, during the show, I think on Wednesday with Solak, it was announced that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be playing. And so we're looking at this line in real time with producer Mike as it starts to reopen. And now, of course, we've settled at seven to seven and a half in favor of the Chiefs. And the total sits at 48. So having seven and a half plus points to the better on a line move on a total is absolutely incredible. Doesn't happen very often in the NFL. It remains to be seen whether or not we'll buy back a little bit towards the over just to have a nice middle, but still win money if it goes under 55 and a half. I tend to think that the Packers obviously right now are going to probably run the football a little bit more. Um, I think they're going to be creative, but this is a team that operates at a very slow pace. They're 30th in pace of play to begin with, uh, even without, even with Aaron Rodgers in there, should I say. And if you look at the Chiefs, they have, I think for the first time, we discussed this on Wednesday, adopted this offensive approach, which I think is plus EV. It's in their best interest to work this way, even though they want nothing more then to have Mahomes drop back, scramble around a little bit in the pocket to buy time and have Tyreek Hill run around 30 yards down the field and catch a big bomb for seven and 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 ha- and put up points within one play. Um, defenses are taking that away from them this year. And so we saw this offensive mindset approach change last week after their debacle in Tennessee, putting up only three points. They went with this very controlled, short passing approach. And... Tyreek Hill had 18 fucking targets, House, mm-hmm. and he caught 12 of them. And I may be wrong, but I went ahead and also played and, and took a prop 
uh, Tyreek Hill over six and a half receptions. He's gone over six and a half in, I want to say, four out of his last five games to begin with, okay, even without that new newfangled approach. But if their desire is we're going to run the ball and throw short and just work the ball down the field, try to avoid third downs and like take advantage of defenses that way, as opposed to almost getting Mahomes killed in the pocket and throwing up these low EV uh, deep passes with multiple guys in coverage frequently, um, then the odds maker certainly didn't change their approach because six and a half is relatively standard for Tyreek Hill's receptions. And I just feel like he's going to be targeted a lot. And then we also have these weird questions about what is going on with Travis Kelsey, right? Doesn't look quite 100% doesn't look like the same Travis Kelsey that we were accustomed to during the Super Bowl run. Um, And maybe defenses are keying him on a little bit, uh, a little bit better, but take him out of the game a little bit more. And it's, it's a lot more of the Tyree kill underneath stuff. So I do like that prop. People can still get that easily um, uh, since the under 55 and a half is burned. But what, what do you expect to see in this game? And how did you bet it? If you've bet it yet? Well, I I haven't bet it, but I am going to bet it. I love Green Bay catching more than a touchdown in this instance. I think they demonstrated to us last week against Arizona that they are across the board of a certain class that puts them at the top of the class in the NFC and, you know, top of the class across the whole NFL, legit Super Bowl contenders. Now, I mean, they, they, they have their vulnerabilities still, but what they did on defense against Arizona was kind of a revelation. They, there is an improvement that has been quietly happening in Green Bay and you and Solak went into it um, a bit. So I, I like the Green Bay side quite a bit here. The one thing I want to confess right out of the box, and this remains, this is kind of one of the open questions going into the week. When I saw a running back named Gore running up and down the football field for the Kansas City Chiefs, I did for for five seconds say to myself, holy shit, he's done it again. Frank Gore is back. I can't believe Frank Gore is back. Now, obviously, it wasn't Frank Gore. But I did have that just for a half a second, like, oh, my God, the legend lives on. You know you know what's cra- even crazier than that thought? The thought that crossed my mind, which is, is that Frank Gore or is that Frank Gore's son? Because it legitimately could have been his son. His son, I think, is it's in true. the second his second year of college. His son is going to be in the NFL another season. Now, this is the first year that Frank is not signed to a team. But I mean, it's it's so insane to think that at the running back position, the position that gets more churned and burned and run through, and the career length is as short as it is, that we almost have approached a time where a dad and a son are playing oh. in the NFL simultaneously. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Can you I'm imagine that? for it. <laughs> go Frank Gore legend. But it, uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't Frank Gore. It was Derek Gore. Uh, Derek Gore. Yep. Yeah, Derek. And, and you know what? He looked pretty effective. So the thing that is, you know, uh, interesting about this upcoming matchup, will Kansas City commit more to the run? Kansas City has had a problem all season long with running the football, and they showed at the beginning of the season kind of a commitment to it, and then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire kept effing fumbling. He was a bad fumbler, and especially on the wrong side of the field as they started approaching the red zone or in the red zone. He's putting balls on the ground that are changing the outcomes of some of those games. Uh, I like the Chiefs, you know, doing this, this you know, on-the-fly 
uh, pivot to a smaller, shorter kind of uh, approach, you know, undercover stuff. The thing I'm wondering, you you talked about Kelsey. Why can't Kelsey be part of that underneath um, strategy? Why isn't he catching oh, he, balls? He, he he absolutely should be. He needs to be. Um, he did not have a very good game last week, and that's why I question what exactly is going on with Travis Kelsey. Is he fully healthy? There were at times during the game where he seemed like not engaged well enough. And I forget who is broadcasting the show, but they were talking about the fact that like, I don't know why they're not getting Kelsey a little bit more involved because it does become difficult when you got a star player like that and you're not evolving him early to all of a sudden expect him to be like engaged late and to get him involved late. And and lo and behold, I mean, I again, I forget who was making that comment. I don't, I don't know uh, the network, but um, they were dead on accurate as it turned out because they threw a pass to Kelsey and then of course like, he fumbled it and yeah. uh, and and so the Giants got the ball back. Um, I'm not sure why that can't could not happen, but like we always say, I mean analytics helps get us to this to this point. But you want to start with the foundation of what is efficient football with the rules construct that exists in the NFL right now. And let's try to mold our offense towards taking advantage of most of these rules and taking advantage of most of the overall efficiency. Then you're going to adjust for a couple things. You're going to adjust slightly for the talent on your roster. Who's good? Who's bad? Where do your quarterback excel at? What does he struggle with? Let's avoid the things he struggles with. Maximize his strengths. Um, you got different wide receivers that draw different defenses uh, and coverages. So try to maximize those things. And then the second thing that you're trying to do uh, after that is play to the weaknesses of those defenses, right? Like every defense has its own set of weaknesses. So we want to attack those weaknesses. And if every single defense is trying to take away the deep stuff, guess what? We're going to become, we're going to get our second degree house. We, we've already got our degree in the deep explosive passes, right? But right now, uh, the job market is looking a lot better for people with jobs in the short underneath passing market and the running the football market with these light boxes. So you know what? We're going back to school. We're going to get a second degree and specialize in those types of things so that once we graduate, we're going to be able to do both. And if defenses are going to try to take away the deep stuff, we've already earned our degree and we can dominate you in the underneath stuff. And then if you're going to play us true to form, we're going to splash both things at you. And if you're going to try to then have to adjust and come up and take away some of the short stuff, we're going to beat you over the top. And if you play like one coverage where you're trying to take away some of the short stuff, we'll burn you over the top. So this is exactly what the chiefs need to do. You cannot continue to just specialize in one thing when the job market has dried up in that regard and try to hope and pray that like something's going to luck out your way. Go, go do something else. Get that secondary degree. I am right there with you. What do you think about the notion that, that the, um, the line uh, above a touchdown represents a little bit uh, of value? One of the things, and I know I joined you as a subscriber on under 55, which was wonderful, but the, the, there is something going on with the Chiefs offense um, in the last handful of games here. Where they, I don't remember, you and Solak went through it. It was, do they have more punts than first downs over the last uh, handful of yeah. weeks? It's no, no, not, not more punts than first downs. They, I'm doing this for memory, so forgive me if I'm wrong. Over their last 20 drives, which encompasses the last two games, they've had 20 offensive drives. They have two touchdowns. They have three field goals. And they have six punts. 
So they've gone from the team that's punting the least of any in the NFL and virtually like we're always going to be scoring points unless we're turning it over to a team that is actually punting more than they have scored over the last two weeks. And 23 points combined against the Titans and the Giants, um, not, neither defense of which you would say is in the top half, right, of, of, of the NFL on, on a DVOA yeah, or they're both measure. about They're both about average. Yeah, yeah they're both about average. Right. So... Uh, the Packers, I think, defensively in that same kind of class, it just feels like the kind of game where it's going to be slow because you talked about pace, the Packers, pl- how slow they play. That fits the the a game script of protecting Jordan Love and not ex- subjecting him to undue uh, pressure by trying to throw the ball down the field. Maybe they'll pick their spots using the, their two-headed, two-pronged, uh, rushing attack, you know, because the Kansas City defense continues to be abominable against the run. Jones and Dylan both in the top twenty in DVOA um, as running backs, and and also in in uh, avoiding um, in, in in missed tackles. So I just think like you know uh, a game where they're catching more than a touchdown with a total of forty eight. I, I like the value on on the Packers. I, I can't argue. I haven't done anything on the on the uh, ATS side at seven and a half. Um, I would I would be leaning a little bit more towards the Packers at that number than the Chiefs. That's one thing for sure. Okay. I mean, maybe it's a teaser candidate also uh, for the Chiefs if you think the Chiefs are going to win out. Right? They they yep. can't afford to lose any more games if they're going to uh, continue to have playoff ambition, and we know that they have playoff ambition. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. I had a hard time with this not immunized slate coming up with what is is like kind of the second best game, the second most interesting game? Because we have a couple of division matchups. The Bengals are hosting the Browns, and San Francisco is hosting Arizona. And those games are impactful. But I went with the Rams and the Titans. Uh, the Rams minus seven at home against the Titans. This is the first game for the Titans without Derrick Henry because both of these teams are, are right there at the top of their divisions. Um, and... You know, the the Titans especially. This is, as much as anything, I, I wanted to talk about them in this slot of the show just to convey my admiration. What an unbelievable run. Underdogs against the Bills, underdogs against the Chiefs, underdogs against the Colts, and just an extraordinary performance. Like, kudos to Vrabel and that coaching staff. And, and you know, from what we saw at the beginning of the season, the complete uh, discombobulation against Arizona – and they really righted the ship, and they they've been getting better on both sides of the ball. I really just wanted to tip my hat to the to the Titans in this spot. Okay, I I don't disagree. Uh, now is the true test. Now is the true test. Um, 
I got some. I got a little rant on this one, House. But I want to hear first what you think about this game. Where where are you looking to try try to take advantage of value? As we know, the line was six at the point in time when Derrick Henry was announced out, is moved to seven and a half, um, and the total has dropped. It was fifty four. And is now dropped to 53, and there are some 52 and a half starting to appear. Do you what do you like side total? And then I'll get into my rant. It's a perfect teaser spot. The the Rams are an awesome teaser leg. Taking that seven and a half through the seven and the and the three down to one and a half. That's my favorite aspect of, of this game. It represents I I just think, you know, I I have been doubting the Titans at at at, at the expense of my pocketbook. The last handful of weeks, and you know, kudos to to their resourcefulness, and again, just the midseason sort of pivot to be, um, you know, finding vulnerabilities in the Bills, the Chiefs, and and the and the Colts, and you know, they battled back. They were down fourteen nothing last week against the Colts, and the Colts couldn't uh, close it out against them. I just think it's it's asking too much. Their entire game plan, their script, everything that they do depends on uh, Derrick Henry being healthy in the second half, banging out, you know, yards, uh, using the advantage that they gained through the first half of banging out, um, you know, Henry runs that are punishing. And then in the second half, you know, it creates the opportunity, all that play action for Tannehill and AJ Brown in the second half. I just don't feel like that opportunity is going to be there. Plus it's the, it's the Rams defense, like arguably, you know, top three defenses in the NFL, and we're all very excited to see what Von Miller is going to add to the whole thing. It's just a tough spot for Tennessee. It is a very tough spot. It's a tough spot for the players, but it's a more of a tough spot, in my opinion, for the coaches. And let me try to explain. The Tennessee Titans have done what, in my opinion, takes a lot of non-intelligent decision-making thus far this season that only could be justified by a team that they believe has the NFL's best running back, bar none. Okay. And I'm saying this about a team that has a six and two record. So I'm trying not to like uh, uh, just bury this team. (laughs) But when you look at the data and you look at the statistics, and you can have Mike Vrabel talk to me all night and day about how it doesn't matter, it's establishing a mindset, it's establishing this and that. And eventually by the fourth quarter, we're going to wear them down and then we're going to have success on the ground. And this is the right way. And, 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 From a feel perspective, this is the right approach. Let me just back up and take it from a data and analytics perspective. This team obviously must believe they had the NFL's best running back because they went 55% run on early downs in the first three quarters. That ranks the number two most run heavy team in the NFL. Do you know the only other teams that are close to that are the 57% run Chicago Bears that are playing with, let's start a rookie quarterback, a terrible offensive line, and no credible receiving threats outside of Allen Robinson. The only other team that's close is the Houston Texans, who were 54% run. They are playing with, let's count it out, a rookie quarterback, a terrible offensive line, and no credible receiving threat outside of Brandon Cooks. So that's where the Tennessee Titans are, except they don't have a rookie quarterback. They have Ryan Tannehill. They don't have a terrible offensive line. And they not only have A.J. Brown, one of the better wide receivers in the NFL, they also have Julio Jones this season. Yet they are 55% run 
next to the Bears and the Texans. Okay, you say, maybe it's worked though. Maybe it's worked. Look at them, they're six and two. Here's their efficiency on early downs in the first three quarters. Runs compared to passes. Runs, 41% success. Passes, 56% success. Runs, 4.3 yards per carry. Passes, 8.7 yards per attempt. Runs, minus 0.08 EPA. Passes, plus 0.9 EPA. 0.09 EPA. Their rushing success rate is tied for second worst in the NFL. Their rushing EPA per play is tied for eighth worst in the NFL. Their passing success rate is tied for ninth best in the NFL. Their passing EPA per attempt is 13th best. Being the second most run heavy team makes absolutely no sense when these are the splits. It's clear as day to me. And the only reason that they are at 55% run is because they believe that Derrick Henry is the best back in the NFL. And this is how they have to play. But Derrick Henry has averaged only 4.3 yards per carry this season which is average in the NFL. His rushing yards over expectation per attempt, which is a tracking metric, is 0.05. That's average in the NFL. His personal metrics are average. His team's rushing efficiency is near the bottom of the league for most of the game. So how could we say that he's great? And how could we say think the Titans think he's great when these are the numbers? Well, because in certain situations, he has been great. In short yardage runs, one to two yards to go, he is gaining plus 0.54 EPA, ranking by far number one in the NFL. And by the fourth quarter, his fourth quarter runs, this Titans team is gaining plus 0.07 EPA on fourth quarter runs, the second best in the NFL. However, to run the ball in the fourth quarter, you need to be winning or at least close to winning. And we are not sure where they're going to be in this game moving forward without Derrick Henry. Are they going to be close to winning so that they could keep running the football? That's to be determined. Derrick Henry was an absolute stud this season because he had a ton of carries to accumulate a ton of yards and touchdowns. But when you look at the efficiency metrics themselves, it paints a much, much different picture. Now you're without Derrick Henry. So what should the coach do? We have a a, a saying I used to talk about with a buddy of mine, Evan Silva, the assumption of rational coaching. Will the coaches make rational decisions based upon the circumstances they find themselves in, or will they make irrational decisions that are hard for us to justify while we look at the game, and thus it's hard for us to figure out what their game plan is going to be? Todd Downing, the Titans offense coordinator, made the following statement just yesterday, House. He said, quote, I'd be doing this team a disservice if I jerked the wheel just because of an injury, even as great as Derrick Henry is. We are who we are. We are going to find ways to continue to maintain that identity. It remains to be seen. I tend to trust coaches when they're in those types of positions. They don't want to lie to the press. It probably would have been in his team's best interest to try to win this game if he were to say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to stick with the run. We're going to pound the rock. We're going to do what we always do and then come out and throw the ball a ton and really throw a curveball, that would actually make the most sense. But most of these guys don't like going on the record, telling the press one thing, and then doing something completely different, even though, who, who cares? Screw the press. What are you talking about? Why, why, of course, why would you no, try to be point, truthful there? Yeah, you're trying to create uh, uncertainty in your opponent. It's Who cares what the about the press? Who gives a I shit? I agree. The whole point is to have the the your opponent preparing for multiple 
possibilities. And I, I honestly, I will be shocked if we don't see Tennessee come out and, and start trying to throw the rock immediately, establish the pass immediately. I mean, I know how formidable the Rams pass rush and Rams pass defense is, but that's their best chance at having any success at all uh, against the Rams, I think. I mean, there there is no scenario. There's no script where they're going to go run the football against the Rams, even though the Rams' uh, rush defense is not, you know, stellar. They, you don't have Derrick Henry. You don't, I, I mean, best of luck. I don't know what you're going to do. It's a really interesting uh, question to ask ourselves because I just shared with you all the metrics. What Derrick Henry has actually done efficiency-wise when he gets the ball has not actually, for most of his carries, been that beneficial and or been significantly above replacement, right? He's only great in these short yardage situations or in the fourth quarter when the defense has been worn down by a bunch of hits from him. But the majority of the game, I don't know that like the next back up is going to be that worse. And so then the question becomes, how do defenses end up playing them? Do defenses continue to keep a lot of guys in the box? Because you look at Derrick Henry's statistics, he faces so many loaded boxes. So now if the defense has a lighter box, what if you do try to run the ball the same amount, but those runs now have more production because Derrick Henry hasn't been the engine getting that efficiency. What's been happening is the boxes have been loaded, so it's a bad time to run, but you still want to run. If the boxes are light and you're running on those early downs, you might actually have more production without Derrick Henry than you did with him. So it's a really interesting conundrum. Like It will fuck your brain up a little bit trying to think about the iterations of how this whole thing could play out. At the end of the day, I do absolutely hope that they shift a little bit more to the pass, but it's a really interesting um, like mind-thought experiment trying to figure out the different strategies and what happens after this, after Derrick Henry is gone. It's fascinating to me. We're just going to have to sit back and watch and see. And, and having gone through the whole conversation, I still love the Rams as a teaser leg. That's my favorite angle on this game. There you go. I have not done anything with this game, but um, look, I'll, I'll just say this. This Titans defense has played four games against passing attacks that rank 20th or worse and four games against passing attacks that ranked top 20. And many of those games were earlier in the season when their secondary was healthy. Against the top top 10 passing attacks that they've played, they've played four of them, they've allowed 38, 31, 30, and three points. Obviously, the three was to the Kansas City Chiefs the other week. Um, otherwise, they're allowing 30-plus points to these guys. And you would think Rams at home trying to make a statement. We just went out and acquired Von Miller. We are for real. We are here. Yeah. Like they should be able to do their part in putting up some points here. So it's going to be fascinating to see, does the Titans defense step up? Can they somehow get pressure on Matthew Stafford? What happens if they do? Does Matthew Stafford have a bad game or not? If he has a good game, obviously they they let go of Deshaun Jackson, right? Yeah. And so now like, we'll see, can we get a nice explosive or two from Van Jefferson down the field and say, hey, we don't miss you too much, uh, Deshaun. We, we, we're just fine with our roster right now, uh, which by the way, give me another example to rant for a second on a mind-boggling decision here by, by a player this time. You are Deshaun Jackson. You get hurt every single season. You are with a team that now has, is 7-1 and one and has a great chance to win a Super Bowl. All they're asking you to do is run a few deep routes a game, like catch one ball or two. Like You don't have to do much. You're probably not going to get hurt. 
You can have uh, success here. You've got a great quarterback. You got a good offensive play caller. Uh, your team's going to go to the playoffs and have a lot of success. You would rather go to potentially a shitty team with a shitty quarterback, ask, be asked to play a lot, run a lot of routes where you're not going to catch passes and then get injured and end your season on a losing team. That That's what you're trading this all for, because the opportunity to be with a worse quarterback on a worse team and not do anything in the postseason. I mean, I don't know. I would, I would much rather catch very few passes, um, win games, have success as a team. The passes I do catch have high upside and then go into the offseason as a free agent and say, all I need to do is get more utilization, but I was healthy. I made it through a full season. I helped our team win games and go to the playoffs and you can use me in this role next year and then get a bag as opposed to what he did. It just makes no sense to me. It's it's a perfect self-sabotage and not that inconsistent with the kind of behavior and reputation that he's shown the league over the last handful of years. So I'll just leave it simply at that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. We have on this uh, not-quite-immunized slate two additional division matchups that are important for the purposes of playoff positioning and for the ambitions of of these teams involved. Pretty juicy. The Bengals are laying two and a half at home against the Browns. The total there is 47. And the 49ers are at home against Arizona. The total there is 45 and a half. We don't know, I don't think, whether or not Kyler Murray is going to play. It sounded like, you know, when I looked this morning, that Kingsbury is saying he's going to play, but I don't know if that's a subterfuge, if that is to, to you know, have the 49ers preparing for Kyler, so then they the Arizona trots out. Who, who, who's the backup in Arizona? Your boy Colt. You got, that is my guy. You got there Colt, and you've got uh, Chris Strevler, who was a guy who was very difficult to tackle in the preseason. Uh, runs around a little bit. He he's the type of both those guys. Um, Strevler's a little bit more mobile at this stage in his career, uh, but both those guys are you know the 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 gritty type of performers that don't have as many skill sets to their uh, at their disposal as many skills in their uh, tool bag, but. Um, you know, I, I don't. But that's don't know. It, it could be Kingsbury doing exactly the thing that we're saying we we would expect teams to do, which is create a little uncertainty around you know these important skill positions and you know try and get an advantage out of it. I hope that's true for KK because he hasn't shown. I mean, I mean, he the, Arizona has been terrific this year, and I'm not going to kill 
Cliff, it's just his body of work previously. As an early in his tenure as a coach, we always look for Kingsbury opportunities, opportunities to go against him if he was up against a, a more veteran coach is the way that I'll put it. But in any event, let's start with the Bengals and the Browns. Kind of a rich game because intrigue on both sides of, of the ball. The Bengals laid a big flat egg, big fat flat, whatever you want to call it, against the Jets. It was the uh, coming out party for our homeboy, Mike White. Um, wonderful performance by Mike White. Not that surprising to see the Bengals come out a little flat after their dominant performance against the Ravens and having the Browns at this position on the schedule. Um, and the Bengals had a couple opportunities. I didn't like some of the refereeing in that game, especially in the fourth quarter. There, there was a... Um, unnecessary roughness call that was just uh, where, where the offensive player initiated contact by lowering his head. Hate, hate to see it. It really did decide, you know, affect the outcome of the game, but how are you sizing up this, this Browns Bengals? I mean, the, it, it's a, it's a exactly the right number. You and Solak talked about it on Wednesday's show. Bengals minus two and a half is kind of the perfect number. Um, how are you, how are you sizing this one up? Yeah, I don't have a ton of uh, strong takes on this game yet. I have not done anything with it. Um, I obviously see the total has increased. This is a little bit in part because we have seen um, we have seen this game go over twice last year with like massively high point totals. Um, I think the Bengals defense is a little bit better than it was last year, of course, and I also think that. Uh, the Browns' offense is playing a little bit differently than it was last year and is being constrained a little bit more by a variety of things. So um, I don't. I actually have very little opinion on this game at the current number house, to be honest with you. Yeah, and I, I don't think um, I'm going to do anything on it either. I wondered about maybe teasing the Browns from uh, plus 2.5 up to plus 8.5, but I just don't. It, I, I I hate the uncertainty around Baker's shoulder and our our Chubb and Hunt healthy healthy enough like just that all all of the sort of question marks around the Browns' ability to sneak in the back door and help me out on that teaser leg that's that that's really it I mean there are some situational things the Bengals are home after a three game road trip the Browns uh, are are were at home for the previous three games but it's not like they're they're traveling very far very interesting all of Cincy's home games this year have ended with a kick on the final play which is you know it, it I think it's kind of a testament to Cincinnati playing close games five of seven games that have finished um, with a three-point margin for Cincinnati so they're they're in these close games for the most part and that's why I think the number is, is kind of perfect. But there's there's just too much uncertainty for me on the Browns' offensive side of the ball to want to jump in on this one. Yeah, a the teaser leg is absolutely appropriate. It's a perfect type of teaser leg. It's a divisional battle, a lot of familiarity, uh, moving through the key numbers. Like there's a lot to like about the teaser uh, leg if you want to go that route with the Cleveland Browns. Um, interesting that you note with regard to the Bengals and how all these games have been close for them. The one thing I do want to say at this stage in the season, we are now um, in week nine. The first eight weeks of the season are done. It's time to start looking more at what have you been doing lately as opposed to what were you doing the first couple weeks of the season. And this gets under the skin of some in the analytics community that are like the hardcore math guys that are guys that, you know, went to school, got their math degrees and say, well, you, 
you can't take out games because it's a small sample size. We're now dealing with an even smaller sample size and you, you've you got to only look at like the full body of work. But the reality is teams change, players come and go, players have strengths and weaknesses, coaches make decisions and make adjustments. If you analyze the Cincinnati Bengals the first three weeks of the season where they were calling a ton of run plays and they were scared about uh, Joe Burrow's knee coming back from surgery. And remember the preseason that Joe Burrow had and uh, uh, a chase being able to catch footballs and the, all these types of things. This team has changed its approach. They have gone from being like the slowest, one of the most run-heavy teams in the NFL to embracing the passing game a lot more frequently. So you have to make adjustments as teams change. You have to start removing or diminishing some of the statistics, metrics, trends, performances, uh, strategies from your models or from your thought process that teams were in the early stage of the season potentially and make those adjustments. So that's all I can say about the Cincinnati Bengals is this team has made some changes in terms of how they want to play football now that they have a ton of confidence in the stability of Burrow's knee, in his confidence in himself, uh, and in their passing game in general. So whether or not that will rear its head in this game against the Cleveland Browns uh, will remains to be seen. But I will say the Cleveland Browns rank number three against the run, and they rank number 23 against the pass. That's 10th worst against the pass, third best against the run. So the Browns will probably have, although you've got to deal with that pass rush more frequently, probably will have more success when they do throw the football than when they choose to, the Bengals will have more success when they choose to throw the football than when they run, so long as Joe Burrow can survive the pass rush. Yeah, that all makes a, a, a ton of sense. If I had to do a side, it would be the Bengals, just to, you know, kind of a better spot. But what hurts is that basically, uh, it, it has such an impact on the Browns' playoff prospects. And I really like the Browns as the season began as uh, winning winning the AFC North and being, you know, making a, a deep run potentially in the playoffs. Four and five is a tough hole to dig out of because of, you know, within their own division, um, there are three teams <laughs> ahead of them um, potentially. And so I, I just, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it would be a, 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 a sad moment for me with, with a little bit of Brown action out there. Brown, Brown, Brown's uh, futures, let's say. Now, the other game that you were talking about was the San Francisco-Arizona game. And I will say this, there are uncertainties about Kyler Murray and absolutely Cliff is smart for playing the subterfuge game. That being said, I think it works in San Francisco's favor regardless of what happens. Mm. If Kyler is out there, he's not going to be at 100%. And the best thing that you could have as a defense, we've seen Kyler out there at less than 100%. It's his, it's his foot, it's his ankle. Yeah. If, I, if so, something on his foot... Um, you're stepping and throwing and planting and 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 uh, cutting all the time. He does it more than most any other quarterback in the NFL. The amount of a distance he covers behind the line on average has to be top two, if not one, in the league in terms of average distance covered before he throws the football. Um, every single step he takes may not be a hundred percent. Right? We're talking like a ninety percent, eighty percent step every single time and he's trying to do that a lot this is not going to work quite out quite as well then he's going to be asked to run the football down the field that's not going to work out quite as well um so 
you gain an edge if he plays. The books are going to adjust. Oh my gosh, Kyler's back. Okay, let's make the Cardinals back to a pick because right now the books that are posted have the 49ers now as much as one and a half to two point favorites. Uh, let's bring the Cardinals back to a pick because Kyler is up. Eh, I don't know. We'll see if that's the right move. Once again, by the books, I don't know if it is going to be the right move. And then if you don't have Kyler up, of course, uh, now would be the time that you would want to get in on the 49ers. Uh, the 49ers without Jimmy G up last game, Trey Lance played against these guys. I mean, that game didn't look close by the, based upon the final score, but there were plenty of opportunities for Trey Lance to do something and to score and they weren't able to do it or to make a throw and they weren't able to do it. Um, and I think this team is better with Jimmy G. And I think Kittle may be back. I'm not 100% positive on that, but I thought that he might be. Um, so you just got a really healthy 49ers team that I think typically plays Cliff's team pretty close and pretty well. Um, and now that Jimmy G's back in there and this defense is getting a little bit healthier too, I just think in general, it's a good spot for the 49ers, whether it's Kyler or whether it's one of the backups. Yeah, and you mentioned um, what happened in that first game. The 49ers were getting five and a half because Arizona was kind of at the peak of its powers. Uh, and the 49ers had, I don't know what the ultimate number was. It felt like 43 different chances inside the red zone to do something. There, there was a fourth down stop on a on a you know goal line stand by uh, Arizona. And, you know, it was part of the seasoning of Trey Lance for sure. But that game, the... Uh, 49ers outgained Arizona by, you know, 40 some yards. And we know that the Kyle Shanahan has had some success against Kingsbury. So, you know, I, I sidewise, I, I'm fine with laying the points, uh, on, uh, with San Francisco. Um, and, and not, notwithstanding whatever the, the, whoever comes out and plays quarterback, uh, based on your good point about either a compromise Kyler or, or, or Colt, you know, beloved Colt, but still Colt. Yep. Don't disagree. So let's talk about my dance card and my favorite game of the entire week. And we teased it a little bit at the top of the show. You and Solak did not tease it at all. You spent 25 minutes on Wednesday's show on the LA Chargers at the Philadelphia Eagles. The Chargers are laying two points. It might be one and a half by now. Um, and the total there was 50 last time I looked. Uh I'm not going to make you go through all 25 minutes worth of <laughs> why um, you guys... Let me ask you this. Why was that the game that you guys chose to spend the most time on? Let me just ask that question. The LA Chargers have become um, a hot-button team for me um, th <laughs> this season. And I think Solak and I have both gravitated towards them because... And, and some of the fans, I've seen... Okay, you go to my mentions over the summer or at the end of last year, and, and even during last year, I was the f I was being, uh, I guess, put into the category of a, a Justin Herbert stan, of, of a guy who is just overly obsessed with how I think that this guy is incredible. And I'm not, I wasn't first to him by any means, but I still was early compared to the rest of the people on Justin Herbert. And... I was really in love with what he was doing and just consistently frustrated with his coaching staff holding him back. So that was something. I was posting videos. I was just getting at the coaching staff. I was like, let Justin Herbert throw the ball on early downs. Let's go. Let's go. And I was big on it. Then we saw the coaching change this offseason. I was like, okay, I don't know that I love Joe Lombardi at core, at OC. I kind of don't. But 
it seems pretty obvious. You just got to throw the ball more, let Justin Herbert throw the ball in opportune situations where defenses may be playing the run, and you could have a lot of success with this guy because I really like Justin Herbert. And then I'm seeing what they've been putting on the field, and it gives me, it makes me frustrated, and it makes Ben frustrated. And then I hear all this never-ending praise about Brandon Staley and all the great things that he's saying, and yet I'm watching him call the I know he's not calling the game. People, I realize he is not the offensive coordinator. I realize it's Joe Lombardi. But when your head coach goes into a bye week saying, we're going to make adjustments on early downs and we're going to be a lot more efficient and we're going to be uh, a, a legendary or whatever he said, it was some big uh, high praise term. Let me look it up here. We're going to be prolific on first and second down moving forward. And then you come out and you're not I don't give a shit if he's not the one calling the actual plays that falls on the head coach because that was his plan, his plan. He was working with this team to figure out a way to do that. And then they weren't. Okay. So this is Brandon Staley to an extent. He could make it different if he really wanted to. All right. So they have the opportunity to perform here. But the reason we were talking a lot about this game, just to get back to your original question, is because it is such a hot-button team. Because this team is one of the most talented teams in the NFL with arguably one of the best quarterbacks in his first two, three years in the league. So we are we have high expectations based on what we've seen him be able to deliver in certain situations. And we feel like if he's put into better situations at other points in time, that he could be even better. Right. And so we love to see greatness. We want to see greatness. So I am now the Chargers fans are like, oh, this guy's just a Chargers hater. Are you kidding me? I fucking love Justin Herbert and what he's able to do. Uh, I want him to be great. I want the team to call the most efficient plays possible so that we all can witness his greatness. I don't hate the fucking Chargers. I like the Chargers. I, I don't hate any team in the league. I root for efficiency. I root against inefficiency. Bottom line, I don't care what color jersey you have or what players are wearing those jerseys. All I care about is are you making the most efficient decisions possible so that your team can have the best success every single time you step out on the field? Boom. There we go. We put it down. I love it. Well, look, this Chargers situation is really a great opportunity, it feels like to me. They are coming off of two consecutive losses. Their three losses this season, the Chargers, they start, they opened the season four and one. They lost to the Cowboys. Then they have consecutive losses to the Ravens and to the Patriots. I think we can agree those are all pretty good football teams. Good to great. I mean, you know, the, the jury's still out on what the Patriots are going to be. And the Patriots won that football game on the road with their defense, which I, I think goes to the frustration that you and Solak we're expressing a little bit. The Eagles are on the uh, completely other side of the coin. They have beaten the Falcons, the Panthers, and the Lions. And because they beat the crap out of the Lions last week, when a lot of sharps and um, petty betters like me, hand raise, um, like the Lions in that situation, thought the Lions might catch their one and only win of the season because the Eagles came out and ran 500 times at, for, for 500 yards, completely flipped the script and did the thing that their fans have been begging them to do all season. 
all of a sudden we are supposed to think that the Eagles have have turned a corner and that the Chargers um, are going to lay less than a field goal. These two teams are entirely different categories, two different classes of of, of football teams altogether, talent wise, coaching wise, any any which way you want to measure a quarterback wise. I saw um, somewhere along the way here um, a, a measure of Hertz again in the same spot he was in at the end of last season, this experiment with him, he is an inaccurate thrower of the football. The combination of his EPA and CPOE, which I know uh, you will explain to all the people, he's worse in the NFL at that as, as, as a starter. Give me the Chargers all day long. I know their their rush defense still stinks, but I, I you know the 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 Sanders is, is is the Eagles' best running back, and he's still out. And I don't trust the Eagles coaching staff as far as I can throw them. I love the Chargers catching less than a field goal here. Okay, so here's a few things that I pr- I don't believe I shared with you guys on Wednesday that digging in deeper, here are some things that are maybe of interest as you're looking to bet on this game. Number one, it might sound crazy, but in the first three quarters of games since week six, the Chargers offense ranks dead last in EPA per play in the entire NFL at minus 0.33 per play. Their success rate is also dead last. Their yards per play is second to last. That being said, it's come against the Ravens and Patriots' defenses. Now they're going up with their backs against the wall, having lost two straight, having been terrible in a despite having a bye week, having not gotten back on track to take on this Philadelphia Eagles defense. What does the Chargers want to do? What, what does this Chargers offense want to do at its core? Okay, well, let's look at what they like to do from a play-calling perspective. Only four teams have thrown the ball more to wide receivers within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage on early downs. Only four teams. I'm licking my chops. I'm licking my chops. Keep going, Sharpie. This is what the Chargers offense loves to do, target these wide receivers on short passes because they have raised their early down pass rate with the new regime. They just were throwing it very short. but that's what we're talking about. Short passes to wide receivers. You know what the Eagles defense ranks? Fifth worst on wide receiver passes that are thrown on early downs within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, allowing 67% success and plus 0.23 EPA, which is three times higher than the NFL average. You know what else the Chargers like to do? They like to throw running back passes. You know what they rank? Number three in running back pass efficiency. You know what the Eagles defense ranks? Two running back passes on early downs. Number 29. So what I'm seeing here is Chargers comfort zone. Get that snuggly snuggly blanket, wrap yourself in it, do what you're good at doing, do what you love to do, feel good about yourself. And these are things that the Eagles inherently defensively are weak against. You're going to have success throwing to your running backs on early downs. You're going to have success throwing these short passes to wide receivers on early downs. Maybe you'll actually avoid third downs because the Eagles are so bad defending those types of plays. If not, you need to be good on third down. But I think you're going to have success. And you know what? That means you're going to get into the red zone more than you've done the last two weeks, which in each of the games against the Patriots and against the Ravens, you only made two red zone trips each game. I expect more red zone trips here. And you know what those defenses ranked in the red zone? Both were top 10. You know what the Eagles defense ranks in the red zone? Fifth worst in the NFL. You know what the Chargers offense ranks? Number four inside of the red zone, despite having played these two top 10 red zone defenses the last couple of weeks. I expect 
more trips. I expect more efficiency. Um, and here's where all that early down stuff is going to play out. Over those last two games, the Chargers against great defenses, right? We just talked about it. The Patriots and the Ravens. Chargers averaged eight yards to go on third down. Fifth longest in the NFL. Over the first five games, they averaged only 6.7 yards to go on third down. Slightly better than average. On third downs the last two weeks against these difficult teams, though they averaged eight yards to go, they gained just 3.9 yards. One of the Mm. worst in the NFL. And they recorded a 29% conversion rate, which was fifth worst in the NFL. Over the first five games, they averaged only 6.7. They gained 7.5 yards on these plays, the second most of any team in the NFL. And they converted 49% of their third downs, which was the third highest rate in the NFL. I think they get back to some of that, what we saw the first five weeks. Fewer yards to go on third downs, higher conversion rate when they are put into third downs, but hopefully they won't face as many third downs because of the efficiency on those early downs is going to be such that they have to, they they can bypass third downs more often. Now, in the Eagles' benefit, they should be able to run. And good on the Eagles for getting back to the run game. It's been vital, it's been important. It's going to work in this game as well. We talked about on Wednesday, I'm not going to belabor all those arguments. They're going to have some success running the football. But here's the thing. This game will be won or lost based upon what the Chargers offense does and how quickly they can get up in the game. If the Chargers, in my opinion, get up in the first half of this game and lead by seven points or so at halftime, I don't see the Eagles coming back. And the only reason I say that is because This Chargers pass defense has been great, particularly against mobile quarterbacks. It remains to be seen whether Asante Samuel Jr. will be playing. He's dealing with a concussion, missed the last two weeks of practice, two days of practice, rather. We'll see if he plays. He was played last week, got the concussion. Um, But look at what they've done against mobile quarterbacks and think about these players. In your mind, close your eyes unless you're driving on the road. (laughs) Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott. Think about those quarterbacks. These guys are putting up great seasons, passing the ball, running the ball. Three of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and they're all mobile. You know what those quarterbacks did against this defense of the Chargers? They averaged 221 yards per game. That's 6.8 yards per attempt. We're not even talking seven yards in attempt. Yes. Four touchdowns, but five interceptions. Those three quarterbacks totaled four touchdowns, and they threw five interceptions. I mean, this is a great defense against these mobile quarterbacks. So the last thing you want if you're the Eagles is to be trailing in this game, need to abandon the run, go back to a pass-heavy approach with Jalen Hurts throwing the ball into the teeth of this defense. You need to be leading. That's why it's going to be imperative to see if the Chargers can jump out early to be determined if they do. It's going to be a great game, going to be a fun game. That's one of the reasons why we covered it so much. I love it when you talk dirty to me, especially with that... uh impact against the mobile quarterbacks god i love i I just everybody proceed with caution that that i really love the chargers this week well speaking of proceeding with caution let's jump into i only have one exotic for us this week and it's a money line parlay it's five legs i'm sorry to report to you i love all five legs um as we do every week tell me Who in this mess is going to funk this up? I have 
uh, one unit going on this five-legger. Baltimore Ravens, minus 260. The Cincinnati Bengals, minus 135. The Las Vegas Raiders, who we have not talked about today, at minus 175. The Chargers, who we just went through, at minus 125. And the Steelers on Monday Night Football, hosting the Bears at minus 275. One unit pays out over eight units. <laughs> Those five legs, it's it pays out almost 830 uh, on a five-legger. Of those five, who 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 is going to do me in? I mean, man, it's it's a tough it's a tough call. Um, I will say, you know, the Chargers, the Eagles have been a very sharp side this week, so that's yeah. why that line is dropping. So if you want the Chargers, you're better off probably waiting and seeing where this goes. But you might be able to lay only one um, at reasonable juice. Um, but the 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 sharp guys are opposite the Eagles. Um, Sorry, the sharp guys are opposite the Chargers. They're on the Eagles. I think that we've seen some sharp money coming in on the Browns against the Bengals. So that one's scary. The sharp money has come in on the Raiders here, driving this line up close to three and a half. I don't know if I love that. I don't know if I love the Raiders here. Um, What what scares you about that one? um, I don't like the Giants at home. They don't play as good as home. Right. But... I feel like the Raiders are a tad fugazi. And I just think that at some point, they're going to get exposed for who they are. I like the leadership of Derek Carr. He's he's impressed me this year. And credit to him, he's played better than I thought that he would. Um, I wonder how the defense is going to play them without rugs. Yeah, there's just a few question marks that I have there. I, I'm not on the Giants yet, uh, okay. but that one is a little concerning. I, I will concerning. say that there's a nice battle going on on this Ravens uh, Vikings game. There are some people that really like the Vikings, think they're going to bounce back after that embarrassing performance last week. We, um, we've been waiting for the the Vikings to bounce back for three years now. The Vikings agree. stink. This is like, I'm going to have to hedge my first coach to get fired and, and put some on Zimmer. Like, and I'm going to probably do it today. He, if when they, <laughs> if they, if they get run out of town and I think that's what's going to happen, he, he could get fired next week. Wow, that's a bold call. Uh, let's see that, if it, that, that's. I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I don't know if the Wolves, you know, the the run that team um, would would make that move. I, I agree that. Uh, trust me. What I ranted, are they waiting for? I ranted a lot about about this uh, this coaching stuff. So I don't have a lot to say about them. Not on this show, but I've <laughs> I've said it on my Twitter timeline. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think I think there's a reason that that pays out eight to one. I think that yeah. there's a couple things that could <laughs> that could could not go your way on that one. Uh, I, I'm but with you. We'll be pulling for you as we always do. I mean, you've been Thank, doing really well with these. Yeah, it, it's true. We're still positive ROI on the season uh, for all our betting buddies out there. All right, Sharpie, good slate. Yeah, that and, and that'll do it. Uh, a lot of fun. Thanks, House. That was a lot of fun rocking through the card. I think there's going to be some fun games this weekend. And thank you guys for listening in. We'll be back on Monday with Chris Vernon to recap and break down all the biggest games. Of course, thanks to Joe House for joining me and Mike Wargon and Craig Holbrecht for producing the show. We will see you guys on Monday. Best of luck this weekend and all your wagers. <laughs>